It's a real pleasure to welcome our, our next speaker. Uh, I was at an event at the University of Surrey recently, and somebody mentioned that uh, uh, Paul Binding was in the audience. And I, uh, after the, the event, I went to him like a, like a moth to the light. Uh, uh, Paul's book, uh, Lorca, the Gay Imagination, has already been mentioned today as a, just as a book that really had a huge impact on, on Lorca studies. It was a, it was a real truth-telling book. And it, uh, those of us who were working on Lorca uh, at that time really saw it as a, as a revelation. Uh, uh, a fantastically incisive and beautifully written book. So, uh, like the moth to the light, I went to Paul and said, uh, I don't know if you know where Coventry is, uh, but you're going there on the 1st of November. Uh, and graciously, he said he would. And in fact, he doesn't live too far away either, I've since discovered. Um, Paul Binding, uh, apart from this uh, work of revelation on, on Lorca, now 20 years ago. Yes, um, yes, 22. 22 years ago. Uh, Lord, uh, Paul is a novelist with three published novels to his credit. He reviews regularly, you'll see his name, in the, the TLS and the Independent as a reviewer. And he's recently just completed a book on Ibsen. Um, I understand from him that we have resurrected him uh, in terms of Lorca. Uh, and uh, he's, been, uh, he's come back to where I think probably many of his roots, uh, many of his roots lie. So it's a great pleasure to welcome Paul Biden. Thank you. Well, when David um, gave me the invitation, um, and I accepted because I believe Lorca is someone who is pertinent in almost any situation, but just how pertinent Lorca uh, is for us now, uh, for our present situation, I obviously had no means of knowing at all. Uh, I have been thinking about him quite a lot, independently of um, the fact that I'm to speak today, during the last four weeks of economic turbulence, or whatever word one uses, uh, emanating from America and uh, engulfing us. And I've been struck by the amount of commentators who tell us we're in uncharted waters. They often use that particular cliche over and over again. We've never been here before. What's it like? What's it, what kind of uh, world are we in? And I long to say to them, well, why don't you read uh, El Poeta en Nueva York, where in fact uh, you have a, a, a mind of extreme uh, sensitivity and intelligence confronting just what we're going through now. Uh, Lorca, as you know, went to New York uh, actually before the crash, but it's experienced the crash, and he, he was better placed almost than any kind of sensibility one can imagine to understand a society which, well, did he understand it, but to be confront uh, and emotionally receive a society that was a, on the brink of this disaster which affected us all. And I thought I would read um, a letter, uh, and not, I'll talk about the significance of the, uh, of the uh, poems in a minute, but this is Lorca actually just writing to his um, parents. It is a spectacle of all the world's money in all its unbridled splendour and cruelty. He's just been to Wall Street and had, had breakfast there. I couldn't begin to describe the tumult and hugeness of it all, the voices, the shouts, the running to and fro, the elevators, the poignant Dionysian worship of money. 
This is, and then he talks a little bit about the effect on people he's seen. And he said, it is here that I've got a clear idea of a multitude fighting over money. It is a true world war. Well, I think that um, those of us who tell us that we haven't been there before uh, can turn to that and to turn to poems like the Officina di Denuncia uh, and the Grito from the, uh, from the Chrysler building, and they will find uh, the mood that we are probably finding very difficult to accept in ourselves uh, embodied and given very, very powerful um, uh, wording and, and expression. For Lorca, when I wrote my book um, that David has referred to, um, I used the, 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 the New York poems. I began it with the, 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 the writing of the poems in the Poet in New York because the New York years and indeed the poems themselves I saw as a kind of crucible through which uh, Lorca, um, his personality and his art had to pass uh, in order to perhaps not in order to, not the correct, and I ought to say, he passed through it and on the other side uh, produced um, the classic masterpieces of which, in my view now, the play we're to see tonight, the Casa de Bernardo Alba, is the, the finest, the, uh, the, the most powerful. And uh, the, the, the New York experience was a, a multi-stranded one, but uh, at the centre of it, as regards Locke as a person with his own very, very difficult, uh, complicated attitude to his sexuality and to uh, what, um, how this affected his whole outlook on life, his whole relation to other people, his own relation to other society, his own relation to his art. And, but we can see the New York years in many other lights as well. I mean, in a sense, it is um, someone from a, a Catholic society confronting one particular naked form of Protestantism, uh, of capitalist Protestantism, a society which has venerated traditions facing a society that's either discarded them or never had them. Uh, and it's a society, which, for all that there was poverty in Spain, a uh, society where Lorca was forced to confront his political attitude to the enormous discrepancies uh, between one group of a, a social group and another, uh, which he did so with um, very great feeling uh, and very great um, exercise of the imagination. Well, what I'm going to um, try and do uh, today um, is something slightly different from what I, I, I hope it's different from um, what I did in my book. I'm going to try and see a line um, from Lorca's early works that goes through um, the, the, the crucible, as it were, and comes out in La Casa de Bernardo Alba. But I um, am going to concentrate principally on the plays. Uh, in fact, that, that, that is uh, my, my theme. Um, I want to remind people of um, an, a letter, that, another letter that Lorca wrote when he was very young in fact, he wasn't quite 20. And so if you want to see that there was a kind of consistency in his um, personality, um, we can find it here. And this is a letter where he describes to a friend the sort of person he thinks he is. He says, I am, in sending the letter, he headed Puff, peace. I am a poor, impassioned and silent fellow who very nearly like the marvellous Verlaine 
bears within a lily impossible to water, and to the foolish eyes of those who look upon me, I seem to be a very red rose with a sexual tint of an April peony, which is not my heart's truth. And then he goes on, after elaborating on that and saying that he has no conception of poetry other than the lyric, which is an interesting statement in itself, he, sa and he says, after I entered the kingdom of poetry, I ended by anointing myself with love for everything. To sum up, I'm a good boy who opens his heart to the whole world. I feel only an immense desire for humanity. Why struggle with the flesh while the frightening problems of the spirit exists? I love Venus madly, but even more I love the question heart. And most of all, I keep to myself like that rare and true Peer Gint with the button moulder. I want me to be myself. Well, it interests me very much that uh, Ibsen actually makes, sorry, that, the other way around, that Locke <laughs> makes a, a, a reference to Ibsen uh, in that. Because, because I think, in a sense, La Casa de Van Alba is much more of a homage to the kind of play that Ibsen founded than um, one might have expected. But maybe there was always this strand, this kind of, as it were, this kind of Ibsen-like strand in him. I don't know how well you know Peyint, uh, uh, but um, he is a, a wanderer, a feckless man, a good man in lots of ways, but who behaves very, very, very foolishly. I mean, he obviously is an everyman figure. And in the end, the button molder, whom, um, who is referred to in, in that letter from Lorca, um, sort of brings about his redemption, uh, his acceptance of his and other people's humanity, and unites him with Solveig, the girl he's loved and, uh, in fact, treated um, badly. Um, I think that it's quite interesting. There are two little references, literary references, in that letter, which I think we can just sort of bear in mind, again, if we're thinking of the consistency of Lotka. When he talks about Verlaine, um, in fact, Lotka was to write a poem in one of the Tres Vetratos about Verlaine, but more so we can think of Verlaine's friend Rumble, uh, and une saison en enfer is obviously one of the great ancestors for the New York poems with its déreglement of, of senses and, and thoughts. And then, as I say, in, in Ibsen, we can think that there were certain kind of uh, similarities that he saw Ibsen as a model. And one of the things that I don't know whether he knew this or not, but which intrigues me very much, is that uh, Ibsen, as a young man, was a great... Uh, devotee of puppets and the, and the theatre, the model theatre. That's what he did when he was a boy. He was a very difficult uh, youth. And that's what, how he <coughs> made the kind of social reputation for himself. Another great figure is Hans Christian Andersen, who was a master of the, of the puppet theatre and of the uh, of a toy theatre. And um, we can think of some other examples. Dickens is another. Uh, Robert Louis Stevenson is another all figures who in fact came mysteriously to represent their societies in a kind of totality in a way which very few other writers have done. And I think this is not accidental. I think there is something in the whole art of the folk theatre, of the puppet theatre, which actually um, composes the mind. You have a very, a given, very given restricted medium with very, very severe laws, which you obviously can't transcend. At the same time, your imagination is galvanized to do the most you possibly can with it. 
And I think that if we look at an early, very early work like Los Chichis de Cachupoda, um, which is a, was a puppet play, you can see how Lorca is going to that medium, uh, learning from it, and infusing it with uh, important aspects of his own personality and his own preoccupations. He's in a way testing the limits to see what he can find beyond them that he will then perhaps import into his wider art. There's a story mm, many years later of Henry James going to a puppet theatre uh, and he, he always spoke in this rather sort of pompous way it would seem. Uh, someone said to him, do you admire the, the puppet theatre? And he said, um, yes, what an economy of means. And then he paused and said, and what an economy of ends. But in fact, I think Henry James is being unfair there. You can, in fact, use um, a restricted form to say a very great deal. And I thought I would just um, point out some of the anticipations, both of the confusions that came to their centre in the, um, in the Poeta uh, uh, in Nueva York, and which also are found the other side of them in the classical masterpieces of Lorca. For example, if we take um, uh, Los Titores, uh, you remember, those of you who don't know it, that one of the characters, Don Cristobal, the swaggering bully, the one who uh, appropriates Rosita and uh, thinks that uh, everything should go his own way, actually turns out to be a puppet. I mean, that is one of the sort of re revelation inside the drama. And through that, I think Lorca is saying something against crude male role-playing. Role He's saying that the particular aspect of masculinity that uh, Don Cristobal uh, is enacting is itself a hardening, a woodening of the heart and the feelings. And you may remember, remember I've seen this done, but I must say I've seen it done in Holland, not in, in England. Um, it, it's a delightful play, and there's this mysterious figure called Corito from the harbour who has loved Rosita and they, then it came to nothing when he thinks he loves her and perhaps he doesn't. He's one of the first of these uh, mysterious um, marginalised uh, men who uh, stalk Lorca's work and in a sense they, you, you could argue they even reappear in the figure of Pepe El Romano in, um, in a sort of transformed way in um, Bernardo Albert. But uh, it is interestingly, in the little fight, or the first fight that they have in the Tutores, Corito takes the sword, and because the puppet is wood, uh, he strikes him a blow, but doesn't kill him. And in a sense, uh, whatever level of consciousness, I think that Lorca is seeing the kind of person he is, the Corito, the outsider, making the blow against conventional uh, images of, of gender expectation, uh, but uh, not, in fact, in this particular case, able actually to do anything potent against it. Uh, the puppet is destroyed in a, in a different kind of way. When the chronology, and I'm sure most of you probably by now know m more about it, it's all its elaborations than I do. The chronology of Lorca's plays was a nightmare when I was actually working on the book. I'm sure... Um, 
further revelations of when Lorca began to plan what, um, uh, have, have anything proliferated and become even more complex. But it seems to me that, that um, La, La Zapatera Prodigosa was actually conceived before near the New York um, years. So even though it may have been performed when he came back to Spain, you can think of this, uh, which has a puppet element in it, as I shall remind you, as another example of it, and uh, as belonging to the pre-New York, essentially, rather than, the, than the after the dereglement. Um, I think in this play, which is described as a violent farce, I think Lorca's descriptions of his work are always very, very interesting and to point us in all kinds of, uh, of directions. Uh, you know what this is about. This is about a shoemaker, an old shoemaker, who's um, uh, got a wife who is too complex for him, if you like, too demanding, too complex, too feminine to his particular type of masculinity. He's slightly sort of dried up masculinity. But... Um, it's a very, very moving play. The, the, I think the, the, the wife is, is, is a, a, a fully realised and sympathetic person, again, within the narrow terms of, of the form. But again, what is interesting, the two little workings into the play, which Lorca has done uh, to challenge our sort of conventions. First of all, you remember that the shoemaker himself becomes a puppeteer. And so it's through role play, through a kind of re-entering of this artifice, or this kind of folk artifice, that he affects the change that uh, is necessary because uh, there's one person in the audience who recognises who he is, and that is a boy. And the boy is uh, a person we've already seen uh, who's much nicer and more sympathetic to the wife most of the sort of gossiping neighbours, he repeats to the wife a tittle-tattle that her sort of rather flighty behaviour has um, brought into being, but he doesn't believe it, and he's a sort of consoler, consoling figure. And it is he who realises that the puppeteer is the shoemaker, and therefore he is the one who effects the quasi-reconciliation uh, that takes place uh, at the end of this, I think, very beautiful play. And one of the more beautiful moments in it uh, is um, when the boy and the wife see a butterfly, that, that image that if they're talking about the grammar of images, this must come sort of way up in the first declension or whatever it, it would be. But um, in my book, I slightly irritate myself by, when I reread it <laughs> by saying that, I mean, it's, it's, it's platonic, it's the idea, Plato's idea of envoys to the world of the absolute well maybe it is maybe it isn't but i mean it's also a butterfly and uh the the vision of this young boy and this trapped but in fact sympathetic woman being united by this sort of obvious symbol of freedom and yet in a way reconciled to the circumstances um by it is something that i think is um beautifully done and owes itself again to the this confined uh, and very rich form. In 1928, um, Lorca, was a sort of, uh, predating um, the visit to uh, New York, wrote Don Perimplini Belisa, and this is um, an agonizing work. Uh, this, again, um, 
this is not for puppets, but in a sense it almost might be. Uh, the characters are very, very stylized, though underneath the stylization there's a great deal of human um, riches uh, and appreciation. And again, it, it, there is this sense of marginalization and artifice uh, which um, c come together. The, in a way, uh, Don Perimplene is the earlier play, or maybe not the earlier play, the earlier play conceived. It is, a, it is the La Zapatera um, reworked. It's again an, an older man, Don Perimplene, who uh, marries uh, a, a, a younger woman, Belisa, who, uh, and he can't, I mean, he can't satisfy her in any way. She's unfaithful to him with five representatives of different um, races. And yet at the same time, she's not unkind. And he plays a strange trick on her, which the audience don't know about. And I always think that, in fact, it gains if you, the audience, do know about it. Uh, he goes away and disguises himself as a, young, as a younger suitor and uh, then comes back and then kills himself. He kills both his selves, as it were. And uh, it, it's, he Locker call um, this play an erotic valentine, and far more than the other two that I've mentioned, I think that the whole feeling of sexuality and of the difficulties of sexuality um, versus other kind of aspirations of the personality uh, is very, very beautifully uh, embodied in that. Well, um, I think in those three works, because temporarily I'm going for a few minutes, I'm going to leave aside Doña Rosita, which I think also belongs to this group of stylized, well, it's a sort of transitional work and in time, quite a bit later. But it, it has the same deliberate use of convention and the deliberate subverting or transcending of the conventions uh, that the earlier three do. But um, I would say that in these um, plays, one of the themes is, um, which we've already spoken about in the other, other talks this morning, both of which, all, all three of which I've enjoyed enormously, uh, is the difficulty um, of public and private self. And I think perhaps nowhere more difficult than, than for gay people in certain societies, uh, because honesty to yourself doesn't necessarily beget or sometimes legally cannot beget uh, honesty to the outside world. Yet once you're dishonest to the outside world, then you really have, in fact, compromised very important parts of your being. And all three of these plays seem to me to be saying this on one sort of level. I mean, Curito, the person in the very first play that I mentioned, comes in muffled by uh, um, a cloak and he, someone who's disappeared. I'm not saying anything as crude as the fact that he, uh, he, he represents gay sexuality. I don't think on a conscious level he does. But uh, I think the whole idea that you have something that you must muffle and, uh, and uh, keep away from others while in fact feeling yourself very much yourself is something which these um, three um, works very beautifully embody. And if we move a sideways onto the poems, we can see it in quite a number of the poems of the, in the 1920s, which deal with young men or boys. There's uh, um, 
a marvelous one called Suicidio. Uh, we don't quite know why the boy committed suicide. He says perhaps because he didn't know his geometry, perhaps because he didn't know how everything sort of fitted together. He wasn't able to fit himself together. If I, um, I don't how I haven't looked at the time, but how much have I got? Um, Ten minutes, something like if we now come on to this um, complicated um, confrontation of self and society that went on in uh, Locke in the, the poems in, in El Poeta, um, one of the great difficulties, I think, about reading this poem is, again, the level of honesty, the level of desire to be honest that Locke is feeling both with himself and uh, this, of course, combines with his intense feeling that whatever society he's relating to, America will not be it, because America, he, uh, as particularly embodied in New York, he feels an alien jungle. I mean, the, the, the wildness is the, the, the surreal passages, and the, I think some, often some very um, close correlations to the kind of disorder that you found in uh, Rambo's uh, great poem uh, are, are very are present uh, th throughout the sequence. But when Lorca is trying to write uh, about his um, problems, about his, uh, his uh, identity crisis more openly, you will find all kinds of great difficulties here. And uh, the, in a sense, the poems of El Poeta are the absolute opposite of the kind of works that I've been talking about. Far from having these, this very, very confined uh, artifice, uh, he's gone in for something else. I mean, he, he's liberated himself <coughs> from conventional uh, poetic forms and given himself the freedom to put one poem after another, though, in fact, the order changed um, uh, from how he first planned it to, to, to the book <coughs> later came as, became a book. Um, and obviously the central poem in this is the ode to Walt Whitman. And I have to say, as in my revisitation of um, Lorca, uh, I not only find, I find it as difficult as I ever did. And I think that some of my... Um, I find the same with Yerma. In fact, I think the, the, the problems that both works um, face, um, <coughs> the one faces with both works, are not dissimilar. But I think, in fact, some of the difficulties, uh, some of the problems that the works set aren't wholly one's own fault. I think there are um, not in Lorca's own vision of things that um, one must appreciate, but uh, I don't think there's any way in which they necessarily can be undone. I mean, the marvellous evocation of American um, boys working and so on, the beginning of this kind of homage to Whitman through Whitman-esque lines, which he imbibed from his um, friend Leon Felipe. Um, the, this starts as a tribute to one aspect of Whitman that obviously um, Locke felt very in tune with. And in a sense, you can read the poem as I've tried over the years, because it's one of the poems, I, uh, works of Locke, I have maintained a relationship. You, it's about the betrayal of the Whitmanesque ideal 
by American capitalism. And therefore, it's a betrayal of a possible homosexual ideal, in Whitman's term, the, the camarado, uh, by um, this capitalist, this acquisitive society. And that if you could return to some sort of semi prelapsarian organic society, uh, you could, in fact, sort of, as it were, redeem it. Um, but it doesn't quite work like that. And whereas ambivalence is of, the, of great art's essence, I think in, in the case of, of the ode, uh, some of that seeps through, and I, one is just left with the agony of the poet, perhaps, rather than something in, actually in the organic work of art itself. I mean, the famous list of uh, pejorative terms for gay people, for example, it's very, as most of them come from Iberian sources, it's very difficult to relate that back to the kind of argument I've perhaps rather oversimplifiedly uh, adumbrated just now. And I've called the talk for David the triumph of empathy. In other words, I think that here, Lorca is still at the stage when uh, he hasn't completely found the art, he's found the art for sympathy. There's a very, very great deal of sympathy uh, in Poeta in Nueva York. But perhaps empathy, which I thought Joe described very beautifully when she was talking about her own relationship to um, uh, creating a play and, uh, and the characters in the play. Look, um, I think empathy hasn't quite been arrived at. And um, when we come on to Yerma, um, I think the same, uh, I find the same difficulty. I, I reread this again for, the, for, the, for this talk, and I find the character of Juan, which I, is, is very, very moving and agonizing, but I don't really quite understand it. And we were talking about dahlias and drooping organs and so on earlier this morning. I mean, that seems to me utterly relevant. I mean, it's a, it, it is a thing you've got to think about. What is the sexual, why is there sex not literally procreative? And I, I think, try as one can, um, it, it, there's something in, in, in the poetry that's withdrawn from this. But I think that when we come to Doña Rosita, I think that, which is the, the play, that I think in time I'm right, saying just before uh, Bernardo Alves, I'm not that's right yet. Um, I feel that in fact there has, where he's returned to this um, more artificial thing, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's structured um, with the third act representing um, uh, the year 1900. It's, it's a work of great sort of artifice uh, uh, with a kind of fairy tale-like figure of a betrayed uh, spinster. But I think in this case, uh, the artifice has served um, Lorca to, to galvan, it's galvanized all the varying uh, um, aspects of his preoccupations. So the, se the sense of, um, of betrayal, of marginalization, which of course is, is Rosita's, uh, he has moved that from his own um, feelings of marginalizations into the figure at this artificial work center. And he's given us in the center, in the figure of the youth, you may remember, at the very end of the, of the, of, of um, Bonio Lucita, um, the youth comes and he's quite a normal uh, sort of lad and he's very, very in their moving house finally. I mean, this is how many years, 20, 
25 years after her initial feeling that she might um, uh, marry. Uh, and she, uh, she's thoroughly a spinster now. And uh, the youth represents um, normality, kindness, like the boy in, in um, La Zapatera. And he also says um, that he's once dressed up as his mother and uh, that um, people, when he dressed up as his mother, people in fact thought it was his mother who was a friend of, uh, of Rosita's family. And uh, so you have the, both a sense of normality, whatever that means, and you have a sense of transposition of uh, roles and genders very, very beautifully sort of brought in this very stylized work. And I'm deliberately not mentioning the play we're going to see tonight because we're going to talk about it in our, um, in, in our round table. But I feel that the triumphs of that play, which seems to me an extraordinary work of empathy, where no man is present, uh, where Lorca's feelings are distributed among, uh, as I believe we shall find out tonight, uh, very sharply differentiated, subtly differentiated uh, women. Uh, I think this has come through a kind of fusion of two sides of Lorca, um, the side of him that, in a sense, had, to use that word again, to undergo this dereglement and to free himself from conventional forms uh, and confront the turmoil of both exterior and interior life, and the side of him that took forms, given forms, which uh, he admired in the society he belonged to and worked into them his own tensions and apprehensions and ambivalences. So I'm looking forward, as I'm sure you all are, to tonight's play doubly. Okay. <laughs>